Thank you for being here today. We're in a noisy little restaurant storage room, and I'm thrilled that we got to be here. There'll be noises in the background, but Lynette, you're about to go and do vintage in a couple of days. Thanks for squeezing this time in. My pleasure. Vintage. What is it like? Vintage to me, I, I and, and to a wine consumer, we look at a year on a wine label, and we see the year, and that, that's vintage. But you're going to go and do something arduous, awful, but also kind of awesome. Absolutely. What are you off to go and do? um, I'm actually going to help Melt Beautiful to make their wine because their winemaker had an accident and broke his leg. And so it's an awesome opportunity that I can fly and help them team out for five weeks and also get to make a little bit of my own wine for Tongue in Groove. So that's exciting. Mount Beautiful, let's talk about them for just a moment, because this very restaurant that, that we're above and, and have, they've kindly lent us this space at Bow, um, we had their 2016 Mount Beautiful on the list down here. And loved it. Chardonnay, sorry. Chardonnay, right. Yum. And that was 2021 that was on the list. Yum. And really affordable too, I thought. Yeah. Okay, so we're at Mount Beautiful. Cheviot, uh, it's Cheviot. Mount Beautiful is about 45 minutes from Amberley. We're so talking the real limits of North Canterbury right when it starts to move into the Marlborough, the greater Marlborough region. So there's a lot of characteristics I still see of Wiper in the Mount Beautiful wine. So they're still capturing the essence of North Canterbury. They've got beautiful vineyards, lots of beautiful undulating slopes. Um, and I'll tell you a lot more when I get back. Yeah, yeah. I'll have learned so much more about them. <laughs> How many vintages have you worked as a oh, winemaker? Oh, that's rude. <laughs> I keep trying to keep a record and my brain forgets, but I think I might be up to 40. Whoa. Mm, over 40. Over now, 40. That is more than one a year. More than one a year. The worst I ever did was three a year. I nearly died. So is that the flying winemaker terminology? Thing? Yeah. Well, when you're young and you don't have a lot of experience, you try to go to other regions around the world to learn about the grape varieties, their winemaking practices, um, learn to understand the wine styles and the wines of that place and take on all of that information and sort of store it because it becomes part of you. Go on then, Lynette, name drop. Give me some of the regions that you have done vintage in. Oh, well, I lived in Burgundy off and on for two years. I've worked with Christophe Rumier. I've worked with Nicolas Patel and um, um, Pascal Marjong at Domaine de la Vougerie. So I'm very lucky, as well as I've worked in Crimea at Upa Winery, which is a biodynamic small winery in... Um, Russia, I know, crazy. Making what? Uh, so they had a lot of classic varieties, Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Merlot, Riesling, um, Muscat. They also had some indigenous varieties that they were trying to work with as well. So, All right, so we've got Burgundy, we've got Crimea, in which I would say is in Ukraine or should be, but anyway, we'll carry <laughs> on. Where else? Also worked in the UK. My first harvest was um, making sparkling wine with grapes from the Isle of Wight. And I worked at Chapel Down. So crazy. That was I was on night shift, nearly killed me. I was much younger then. <laughs> and then, uh, where else have I worked? Um, Australia, Hunter Valley. I've worked in Oregon, Shehalem Winery. 
I've worked... Um, New Zealand? New Zealand many times. Pegasus Bay, so I was one of the winemakers for 20 years. So I understand what it's like to be based in a winery all the time, as well as to fly around the world making wine. So we've had a conversation Oh, with... and Hungary and Romania. I'd forgotten those ones. I forget them all. That's the problem. <laughs> so heading off for Vintage 41-ish mm. at a winery you've never been to, and what I'm curious about is... I had a chat in a, in a podcast with your friend and mine, James Rowan, who has worked in the same place for a long time, but the, the different grapes and different brands come to him for contractors as well as his home at Westbrook. So we've got the experience there, but when you're heading into somewhere in a winery you haven't worked with before and a team that you're not part of until you walk in, I get a sense of trepidation around that. Yeah, I'm very lucky that I've done it so many times now that I almost feel at ease with it and I can walk into the winery and I know what needs to be done. I can see the overall picture and I definitely go in there and taste all their wines, get yeah, an talk idea us through of when their you, when style. You, arrive, you walk in, right, and what is it that you, you're sounding to me like some kind of SAS person who's observing <laughs> everything, noticing the risks, the threats, the opportunities. What When you walk in and what are you looking at, what are you seeing? Okay, so very early in the piece you'll taste everything you can. Taste everything, look at their equipment. Everything in a winery is equipment and there's always little tricks that you need to learn and you'll find out, especially when juice or wine is flowing over the floor, that you're going, right, I didn't get the hang of that one and your adrenaline's going through the roof. But yes, it's very much learning all those little tricks and what to do, how to be reactive without screaming. So there's, <laughs> you walk in and there's the physical lay of your workspace being the winery. Yeah. The equipment that you are going to need to use and checking where is it when I need it. Well, and you've got and someone and go, well, really how, do, how do I work this? What do I need to do well, with this? Well, then you have to know the team yeah, as okay. well. So you have to get to know the team and understand their capabilities and where you can direct them. And I've had, I mean, at Pegasus, I was responsible for organising all the cellar hands and we had up to 10 extra people come in for the harvest. So you get to see their CVs and see their experience, what they're capable of. And honestly, with five minutes of working with someone, I know that, know whether they're capable, what they're, how they're going to cope with the situation. So now, is, that in, that. is that entirely about experience or is there yes. more? Yes, totally, from having worked with so many people. And then it's really important to get out into the vineyards, look at it, see the quality of fruit, see, try and assess the growing season so that you know what that fruit's looking like. Is there any disease pressure? What's the level of ripening? How long has the fruit been hanging, like we talk about hang time, from um, flowering? How many days will it be till harvest? And things like that. So you can assess the ripeness. How's it going to look? Because that influences how you'll process the fruit. There's a million and one ways you can process fruit. And every one of those little actions that you take will greatly influence the resulting wine. So you're thinking... Ahead of time, before you've had anything come in to receive, I might be getting it in this order, I'm going to be dealing with that disease pressure or this beautiful fruit or right this mix between the two. And you're apportioning both interventions you will or won't take, and the, but also physically it needs to get in here into that tank or into these barrels. or Absolutely. 
you're never going to get everything right every single time. So you have to realize that. But harvest is where you try your absolute best to achieve the best possible quality within that period of what we call harvest or vintage. Okay, so harvest, when you say harvest something, okay, that's when I worked on Kumara farms, right? We harvest the Kumara, it was pretty simple, but your harvest is vintage, interchangeable. It's the time when the wine is taken from the vine and made into the wine, right? It's an interesting concept, and I was thinking about this word. So if you think about the Northern Hemisphere, their vintage or harvest and growing season is all within one year. So typically they're bud bursting February, March, depending on where you are, how warm, how hot the the climate is or how cold. And they're harvesting around September. So you have that six months, it's intensive growing season, you pick the grapes, and it's that called that year, that vintage in French, millésime, um, all those sorts of things. Don't we do the same? We're over two years So our growing season starts, we tend to push around September. So 23 now, we were pushing, um, so the buds are starting to push and grow in September of 2022. The entire growing season, most of it is in um, the 22 vintage or the 22 year. And then um, our actually harvesting of the grapes is in 23. But we only call it vintage of the year, of the period of time that we change with that the fermentation happens, that the grapes turn into wine. But interesting, if you think about um, ice wine in Germany, in places where you can only pick it when it's minus seven degrees or colder, sometimes that's December, January. So what year do you call that? And same in the Hunter Valley, where they sometimes have their harvest so early that they can pick in December. So is that a 22 wine or is that a 23 wine? But t- technically we'd say it's 23. Now I guess I'm going to have to go and look up Malamataka and instead of importing this European Canada, what <laughs> might it be here? Okay, love that. So you're arriving in there and how rapidly is it to physical hands-on work? Within hours. Totally. I mean, being a winemaker, it's very hands-on. I mean, some big corporate companies, they're computer people, but that's not the way I've operated. It's and that's always not been... what Full of It, this podcast, is particularly interested in anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, so very much it's hands-on, learning to know, you know, how to use the equipment, and because I won't actually know how to use the equipment, it is going to be new. equipment that you're going to have to go and like, so the top five pieces that you need. Okay, I need to get my head around this. Show me. So they're going to have a sorting table. They'll have a destemmer, crusher, destemmer, must pump, maybe the forklift that operates everything. You have to be a really good forklift driver. I love forklift driving. <laughs> We all love forklift driving. Come on. And uh, presses as well and pumps. What's the difference between, what did you say, a must pump and a press? Okay, so a must pump is called an open throat mono pump typically. So there's a a small, like a, um, a receival bin almost that's not huge. Um, the grapes go into that and then they pump the grapes, the skins and the juice. Must means skins and juice. Okay. And you pump that to, well, typically for red wine you're talking about it. You could must pump Chardonnay grapes into a press sometimes. Yep, Sauvignon you could as well. 
Um, they do that in bigger wineries where the Sauvignon grapes will all be dumped into a receivable bin. They go into the distemmer, the crusher, the must pump, into the press. And the press squeezes the juice. Well, if you're talking for white grapes, typically, then you're separating the juice from the skins almost immediately. And that, so the press is filled up. And then it usually takes about a three-hour cycle to press, to separate the juice from the skins. If you're talking red wine, then red grapes, you pump them into a tank, you ferment them, skins and the juice, because you need to extract colour and tannin from the skins themselves and the seeds. And so then it takes... That entirely depends on the variety, the winemaker's style. I want to talk timing in a moment, and, and let's have another conversation where you pick a wine and talk us through if everything went to plan making that. I'm curious about which one you might pick. Um, James Rowan did Riesling mm. recently, but uh, which I, I laughed because I thought you might have picked that. <laughs> when you mention timing and this takes you know, two to three hours, this one small part of a process of getting the wine into the state where it starts to, or the, the juice where it where it starts to be controllable by you and, and you're reducing some of the things that can go wrong by that stage. Time, work days, how long are you expecting your work days to be? You mentioned night shift. Right? Well, what do you... It depends on how many tonnes the winery will process, but some wineries operate 24-7 and they'll have a day shift and a night shift. You're going into a, a much smaller place, yeah, right? Yeah, I think now, there's around something sort of that, 500 tonnes. There's something that has to be done all the time, but what sort of work days are you heading for, it? Easily 14, 15 hours a day. Actually in, yeah. It, basically all you do is go home to bed to sleep. We'll be eating together as well. So you get a meal a day that's hot and then it'll be snack food, um, cheese and crackers and fruit for sort of dinner. So you you literally live and breathe with the people you work with and you live and breathe in the winery and make wine. Yeah. There's very little out. <laughs> so if you looked at your, the days you might expect, you might be walking into the winery about what o'clock and crawling out for a shower and bed about when? Yeah, so easily can start at 7. It depends on the winery. 7 a.m. can easily start much earlier. Depends on grapes when they're coming in each day. Yeah, what, are you, what are you anticipating where you're heading this, this vintage? I would say starting at 7 and easily going till 8, 9, 10 o'clock. So it makes sense then that you get fed, right, and that you feed your team Absolutely. in there. But it also sounds fatiguing. You've got five weeks of this. Yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> and I'm not young anymore, sadly. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, there is, there's a side to that that we could do more in our youth, but there's another side also of we would run at things much more and waste a lot more energy in in those times. And sometimes the age allows a little bit more intentionality. How are you going to manage your energy of five weeks of at least a 14-hour day? And it's quite physical as well as the mental challenge that you're carrying. Absolutely. So how are you going to manage yourself? Well, I'm very fit. I exercise all the time. And that's the way to get through harvest. You don't have a lot of time for exercise while you're actually in harvest, so it's preparation beforehand. And that's sort of 
mantras, meditation, you know, to get yourself in a good psychological So when you say you're, well. where you're very fit, how do you measure your fitness of going, okay, I'm up to do vintage this year? How do you know you're vintage fit? Um, well, I regularly work out on my cross trainer five days a week for 30, 40 minutes, and I think my level of fitness is pretty good for my age. Yeah. <laughs> So I've taken pride in that for years and years, and that's how you just can keep going and keep going. So it's flexibility, it's cardio fitness, and that sheer ability to keep going. Absolutely. So let's, Dog determination. Let's talk about the mental challenge then, right? Because decisions that you're going to be making vary from disease pressure picking time, how I'm going to manage that, how do I manage the staff to make sure that errors aren't made or minimize the errors that are made but then down to the kind of decisions you're going to have to make and I imagine you'll be making many different decisions simultaneously totally totally what's it the mental load you're walking into really challenging there's no doubt about that but the fact the more you do them the easier they become and you've got such a wealth of knowledge from your past on it's often about what are the most important decisions to make that are going to have the biggest impact on the resulting wine. Timothy John, I was just busting in for a moment to let you know that this conversation, um, I, I do give a thank you and because it's with a wine person, it's a wine thank you. Of course, wine people can be a bit judgy. So our thank you wines come from Posh Slosh, the online wine merchant at poshslosh.co.nz. Take a look, you'll find mostly organic, biodynamic, lots of natural low intervention wines and some classics from Italy, Australia, France, Spain and Aotearoa. If you're trade, get the portfolio from the curators of poshslosh.co.nz manifesto. Just email Paul at manifesto winecompany.co.nz I do now back to the chat it's often about what are the most important decisions to make that are going to have the biggest impact on the resulting wine so what are they how you process the grapes I think is huge to influence the way you're going to the style and the quality I really like to think about it are they going to go across the sorting table what's the price point that you're going to be selling those wines for that how much work do you put in to prioritize these grapes because this quality is really good rather than spending so many hours on a sorting table sorting grapes that are only going to go into a $15 bottle of wine and they're not worth it okay there's one big decision got that big um also like um yeah like still in processing is it uses of have you talked about the processing um, like how like if we're talking about pinot we talk about whole bunches so that's the stems and all do you, how much do you do that? Is it what percentage will you use it? Would you do it? If there's disease in the grapes, um, then probably, maybe. And I've been playing around th- uh, with that a lot, actually. With Pinot last year, we had some challenging season, a challenging season again, like Very. the season's looking. And it, actually, we ended up using a lot of whole bunch. So the stems... You, you sound surprised. For Pinot, 
because people talk about stems as often giving it a green character. So if you're not in a ripe year, then maybe it'll be too green. But actually, the stems give you a lot of tannin, and tannin gives you protection against oxidation. But you don't want to make the wine too tannic with Pinot Noir we're talking. So there's like looking at those grapes and deciding what's the best way to process them to make the best possible wine. Because everything you do, like whole bunch, whole berry, so you just go through the distemmer. So you've got, and if you've got a good distemmer, then you've got a lot of whole berries. So you get a much more fruity style, forward fruit, less tannin. If you um, crush the berries, especially with Pinot Noir, you're opening up the berry, you get way more extraction quicker. So you get more color, more tannic wine, less fruit. So it's all about the percentages of that that have a big influence. Lynette, to what extent, and it's been fascinating, I wish people could see you while you're talking because you're starting to say something and then your face changes and you stop mid-sentence and it's as if you're making the decision as you're going. To what extent? You've made quite a lot of Pinot, right? A lot in different places and in the, some of the greatest places in the world to make Pinot, right? Totally. Burgundy, right? In, in the south of New Zealand, in Oregon, right? So mix. To what extent is it, this is how I make Pinot, I've got the recipe. To what extent is it, hello, fruit, how are you looking? There's no one recipe and that's forever evolving as well. Um, depending on where you are, and it's depending on the person, it's depending on the ideas. What do you mean depending on the... You're, you're the person, it's your ideas, and you're going to Cheviot, right? You're going to North Canterbury, almost very, very South Marlborough. That's where you're going, and it's you. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah it's me, but I what, mean, what don't forget that they have a house style, and lots of wineries do. And so you have to... You want to continue that because the consumer are looking for that. They're used to those styles, but let's not forget Yeah, when I that said to you about the Mount Beautiful Chardonnay that I loved... Yeah. Um, you would expect that moving forward. I'd expect something in a that. A slight variation, but a similar vein. Yeah. Yeah, and don't forget the vineyard is going to give that to you uh, as well. Hugely so. But it's also, as the vines age and mature, they change, and it's about what you can learn to do um, with the grapes. All right. Hence, you've tasted their pinots. You've been out and you've looked at the fruit. You've made some decisions of processing so far. What are the next big decisions that you're going to have to make? Well, then um, fermentation. Fermentation is everything. Fermentation is exciting, especially if you go wild as a natural. <laughs> I can Which remember. means you're not, you're not introducing a chemical yeast. You're in, not putting uh, commercial right. um, yeast into a winery. I've okay. seen, remember one time sitting in the lab at Pegasus and we moved to, I'd lived in Burgundy and came home and said, right, we're doing everything natural um, yeast from now on. And which is like, not, the, the, which isn't, you mentioned earlier, everyone being trained in Davis and Roseworthy when yeah, you're talking about well, Italian wines. It ain't that. It ain't that. Okay. And we'd, we'd just be watching this ferment and the geyser just happened where it just started squirting across the like room. And because you So you're in an open top fermenter. Yeah, and it was a big one, 20,000 litre, but not much was squirting, but it was just beautiful. And you're like just watching this like foam, pink foam, Pinot foam when it's in full fermentation, is spectacular. It's such a pretty colour. And it was literally squirting across the air, and you're like, wow, now I love that. <laughs> Which also sounds volatile, uncontrolled, 
winemakers, to my experience over the years, have a control freak element about them. Very much so. But the more you go with natural, the more you learn to let go. But it's more you learn to know, again, what's going to result in faults, what's going to result in problems, and what's not. And when you can let stand back and let it go all by itself, or whether you should give it some help, especially using temperature, it is your biggest friend as well as your biggest enemy. So you've got, yeah, right. You've got then these tools. You're into fermentation. Five weeks you're going to be at Mount Beautiful and, and running this vintage. And their winemaker with the broken leg must, on the one hand, be massively frustrated, but also pretty grateful, right? It's like, oh, I want it to be me, but if it can't be me, thanks for being you and here. So are you going to have time for further decisions beyond ferment? Because ferment takes, I mean, so you were talking Pinot before. How long might ferment run? Well, Pinot can go... Again, you just shrugged your shoulders and just like... <laughs> There's nah, so many options. No. I mean, I... we with Pinot Noir, I tend to do a little bit of a cold soak. So let the grapes sit at ambient temperature, less than ambient temperature. So down there it's pretty chilly, yeah. but sort of 12, 13 When you degrees. say pretty chilly, what kind of temperature are you walking in? They did have summer, Auckland didn't, of course. It's going to be freezing. <laughs> it was nearly zero the other night down there. So I look like Michelin Man when I'm working harvest because I've got so many layers of clothes on. All that work on the cross trainer didn't do any physical good, any visual no. good at that point, did it? <laughs> yeah, harvest isn't sexy. <laughs> really? It sounds sexy, but it it's dark, <laughs> dirty work. <laughs> I kid you not. Look, there isn't the only romanticism to wine is opening that bottle. Making it is dirty. You've got to be hard to keep going, to have the physical and mental stamina to keep going all the time. What do you have to do? Lots of people break and don't survive. What breaks people? The emotional stress, the hard work. You never get time off. I remember one guy at Pegasus was crying at the end of harvest and said, this place is like a prison. We hadn't left the property for five weeks and it was um 2004 and it was the hardest vintage i've ever worked in my life and it was madness there was just chaos i'm always inviting support for this podcast on patreon for example our first supporters were quartz reef wines and when a winery that good says yep yep we'll support you it's really encouraging it's also challenging to be as good as, say, their Blanc de Blanc. The current release, 2017 Sparkling, is just exceptional. If you're going to benchmark, for example, Central Targo Pinot, then you're going to benchmark it against Quartz Reef Bendigo, or perhaps the Royal Series, like the Billie Jean, if you're lucky enough to get any. On that, I like their Gruner Veltliner. It's a single vineyard. I emailed Leanne at Quartz Reef, just seeing if I could get some. And here's the reply, quote, The Gruner is sold out. I could do a bottle or two if I can find some in the library. Now, that care is how you get great. Rudy won't tell you how good his wines are. I hope I just did. Quartz Reef.
www.ruthvanderbilt.co.nz. You hadn't left for... Five, six weeks. Literally never had a day off. It was like a prison. But what could we do? There were so many grapes and you've just got to turn them into wine. Why do you want to go and do it again? <laughs> it's like a love-hate relationship. If you don't do it, you feel like you've failed and you're not part of who you are. And when you're in it, it, the excitement is exhilarating and then you're going in the middle of a, okay, I've had enough now. Can I just go home? No. (laughs) But no, you've committed, so there's no turning back. (laughs) It's going to be cold. Yeah. It's going to be dirty. Dirty. Relentless. Relentless. Like you'll do some late nights and some early starts. You're exhausted. I know, it sounds like torture, and it is. But, see, the thing is, it's the attraction to thinking that you can make something and make it really well and make an extension of the vineyard and yourself. And um, they're like children, and I don't have any children, so they're well, sort of like my got, babies. You've got thousands of them all around the world <laughs> exactly. over the years. Exactly. And so, you know, some children are more beautiful than others. Let's not forget. <laughs> There's a lot of failures along the way, but you learn from your failures. Oh, my kids are so cute. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that, thank you. So, yeah, it, um, it's an incredible journey that's learning how... Because learning how to make wine and it never stops learning. It's forever evolving, forever changing because there's new ideas. And especially with climate change, everything's changing. So we now have to learn to evolve and adapt to the climate. That's another conversation. Let's do that when you've come back. Because I just want to conclude with asking you, you're throwing yourself back into this toxic relationship. (laughs) Toxic but exciting. As I said, love-hate. It's not like quite like a marriage because you can be in control. (laughs) All the time, if you make it that way and not lose control and not move to the dark side. You'll be out of control at certain moments though, won't you? And that's when you have to remember to be calm, take a deep breath, and realise the bigger picture. There's going to be mistakes always along the way. It's how you handle it. How, do you, how do you handle it when you make mistakes? Because they're going to come. And you're... They always you're, seem you're, bigger than they really are when you're in the moment. And, when, and how often I've like felt sick to the core going, um, oh, my God, that's just not worked and it's just been a disaster. But at the end of the day, the resulting wines turn out pretty well. I've ruined it. Oh, maybe I haven't. That's better than I thought. Yeah. And so, and sometimes that teaches you something that you go, oh, I could have actually gone with that idea and not been so restrictive and sticking to my plan and my recipe. Because, you know, some of the best things come out of these little things that you don't quite expect to happen. And the things that actually are in the middle of it and going, this is wrong, bad, evil, nasty, wicked. Well, if you've got a lot of wine on the floor, that's bad. Let's not forget, that is not good. But wine is also like blood. You know, a little bit looks so bad. 
So <laughs> you have to always say that to yourself. But yeah, losing wine is one of the worst because you can't actually get that back. When actually we're sitting above a kitchen and one of the in fact, the young woman who just came in, the, you know, terrific young chef, was laughing when the chef walked in whilst the kitchen hand was there holding her head in her hands. And it's like, what? The sauce for this particular dish is a three-day process. The last stage of day two was about sieving it out into another container. The container... Oh, no. ...was directly into the sink and gone, and, right? These are shared experiences on preparing gustatory brilliance for people. Exactly. Easy to judge a source. Um, when well, you judge it, a vintage. I think, that. but just back to one thing is oh, that... You, I'm doing the interviewing here. <laughs> Do you mind? Sorry. <laughs> you're not See, sorry. You're going to carry on a, anyway. I'm not a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm listening. Um, I was just going to say, that's the thing about vintage as well. You only have that one opportunity to make wine. And that's why it's all it's all or nothing. It's not like brewing beer where you can do another batch in that year. You have to wait for the grapes to go grow again and do it all again. So therefore, that's why it's so intense and you only have that one six weeks to make the best possible wine because the influence you have in those six weeks are the greatest. Yes, you can still mature the wine, for the next year to two years, depending on a variety, your style, your philosophy. Um, but the effect that has is so much less than actually making wine, turning into fermentation. I mean, the yeast, turning it into wine is huge. The crucial time is vintage. Yes, the You're crucial fit. time. You're ready to go. Yes. You seem excited rather than <laughs> anxious. I am excited. It's incredibly exciting, and that's the, that's the high. And the end result makes you keep going back when it's good. <laughs> so my last question is, when I judge vintage, I get a bottle out, and it might be, so let's say, Mount Beautiful, or Pegasus Bay, right? And I had the joy recently of, so we're in, what, 2023, and I got, I love Gewurz, love Gewurz. And I got to, almost as much as you love Riesling, I think, and I, about as much, I got to try the 2009, 2010, 2011 together. Mm. And I, I, will, I will judge vintages thereafter of this Gewurz from Pegasus or right from Mount Beautiful. I had the 2016 if I've tried. That's how I judge the vintage. But you're going to knock off and you'll go, <sighs> how was vintage? How do you decide how vintage was? in that sense, in that crucial time period. As you say, after that, yeah, changes will be made, but they're more subtle, they're more tweaks than mm. decisive. Mm. How, how do you judge vintage and on what? Are you saying in reference particularly to this year? Well, to, or, no, I mean, when you finish a vintage at a winery, yeah. and you go, I'm trucking back home, or when you were chasing harvest going off to your next yeah. you know, region in, yeah. a, a, in a yeah. different climatic region of, of the globe, right? Then you go, they go, oh, how was vintage in Oregon? Mm. You go, well, you know, how was vintage in Hungary? Oh. Typically, to begin with, it's complete and utter relief. <laughs> Honestly, when you can go to bed 
because you know there's many nights I wake up because I know there's a ferment issue I'll be getting out of bed in the middle of the night, often in my dressing gown, <laughs> popping over to the winery to check something out. Because, as I said, temperature is everything. You don't want it to be too hot, it'll cook itself, and the yeast will die if they get over typically 36, 37 degrees, just like the body. Um, so, you know, you do have to think about all of those things. And when you can actually feel a sense of relief that you're not having those stresses anymore because there's less likelihood of something to go wrong. Then it's relief and you go, ah, and I can go back to life and I can have friends and I can go out to dinner and I can drink other wines from around the world and have fun again. Um, How do I judge a vintage? For me, vintage is all about the growing season. So I like to think and try to understand and remember the growing seasons for most of the regions around the world. And I associate that growing season to that year on the bottle. So I try to remember what it was like. This is what we got in fruit and this is what I did. Yeah, Yeah. like I can remember all of the vintages almost that I've worked everywhere in the world, what the growing season was like. Because that just makes it easier to understand the wine in the bottle. I can hear the service staff (laughs) pumping up the private dining room outside. Thank you for making time before you go away to Vintage. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I feel very confident that despite the endurance test that you're going to go into, you're going to come back with good stories and enjoying your physical and emotional fitness. Yeah, there's always lots of stories. There's new relationships to make and to meet people from different parts of the world. And I have so many amazing friends all over the world that I still go and visit all the time whenever I'm in that country. And that is just amazing. You know, you bond with these people because you literally live with them for six weeks. Well, you made babies together. (laughs) Not in the biblical sense. (laughs) That's a gift for you. Why, thank you. Well, you take that because I've got to go. Wow. Oh, nice. Thank you, my darling. That's where we left the conversation, on me thanking Lynette with a wine. And you heard her response. The wine that I gave her came from Manifesto Wine Company. If you run a wine list or stock a store, you want their wines, you want to know their portfolio. To get that, just email paul at manifestowinecompany.co.uk. NZ. They've got wines from all around the world, mostly organic, biodynamic, lots of natural, low intervention, and then some beautifully made classics. Now, you heard how delighted Lynette was with the bottle I gave her. Give your customers that same joy. And to Manifesto, Paul and Penny, thank you for supporting Full of It. And thank you for listening. Now, go download another episode, because binging on podcasts is fine. Fine.